Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. Uh, fun bit of trivia. We are actually recording this one on the uh, longest night of the year, um, which normally falls around <laughs> June 21st. But um, now this year, it's uh, the um, the da- date of the first presidential debate. So it's been, um, I think, approximately 120 years since noon which um, is the yearly record. So, uh, you know, there are a few dates in the future that are looking to contest this for longest day of the year. But so far, um, we're, we're looking at a, a late night tonight. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, we are starting late, but I, I have to share this with you just because it is, it's almost unbelievable, H, but um, starting, starting, if you will, 7 PM. Mm-hmm. My, I'm looking at my, my phone right now. My heart rate steadily rose until <laughs> it peaked at about double my normal heart rate <laughs> over the course of a 90 minute session. I, I don't know what could have caused that, but I do know that I can finally like a great workout. I, know, I can finally point to a piece of media that's actually killing me <laughs> in all of this darkness. I want to tell you that I appreciate you. Oh, well, thank you. I, uh, I, I appreciate generally some of the ideas that we come out with as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, no, that's I, actually I do have a, a good time. Can, yeah. I, it's, it's always a pleasure to speak to somebody who's, uh, uh, who's positive and coming in with a creative energy when the rest of the world has uh, seemingly abandoned us. So to, to kick into the vibes, I have cracked a beer for this episode. So uh, if there's a little ASMR of the occasional gulp, I apologize. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I am uh, two drinks into my evening already. So All right. we're uh, crossing our fingers and hoping for the best here. Let's do it. But uh, in the tradition of the debate, obviously, you'll be given two minutes to pitch, <laughs> uh, at which point I won't be able to interrupt. Um, but we'll see how long we can keep up the civility before the name calling starts. I actually so. just realized how close it was to our format. Oh, that's a little scary. We'll, we'll tackle that <laughs> at another time. I think we end up coming away with better ideas as a whole. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So far, we've um, we've done less direct mobilization of white nationalist forces on our uh, podcast. So there's a uh, one point in our quarter anyways. Yeah, no kidding. Weird one. Anyways, uh, sorry for everyone who isn't Americans listening to us. I <laughs> uh, just kind of mourn the death of our sweet country. But we're going through a lot right now, and we appreciate having the opportunity to vent every once in a while. Yes. So. Let's uh, let's get started. You are the first one that's pitching a video game idea today, so let's let's get to it. Well, despite the challenging uh, world we're in, we're also kind of swimming in some fantastic games in this uh, second half of 2020. And I've been playing Hades. Uh, you know, recently you and I have been playing a little Tony Hawk. Um, Spelunky <laughs> Two has come out. And I kind of want to take a stab at smashing these things together. What if we did a roguelike, roguelite, uh, Tony Hawk game where we uh, have different levels. You can progress level to level. Maybe it's a certain number of wipeouts or something that actually end your run um, or maybe not hitting combo uh, goals and your run and uh, along the way by doing certain tricks you can actually in real time get power-ups and buff the different stats of your skater and then maybe they're tony hawk like stats but maybe they're you know crazy stats like 
you know, cat-like reflexes where you actually land on your feet and uh, after a crazy turn or something. All right, let's start the clock there then. This is interesting. There's a lot. There's a lot on the table here. So um, for some reason, I think because of the Hades reference point, uh, I immediately kind of go back to the. Uh, kind of Tony Hawk on the Game Boy Advance type of games that are kind of isometric sprite-based anyways. You know, I feel like there's a, for this to be truly like a roguelite, there has to be a sense of um, kind of a, a force that's pushing you forward because any Tony Hawk player knows that you can get a high score on one ramp and one rail. You know, you find a spot right. that works for you and then you spend the entire run there in that spot um, trying to, to progress. And that, that doesn't make for interesting roguelite play. And so, you know, there has to be something that kind of propels you forward to propel you into kind of discovering new portions of this kind of procedurally generated map. Maybe we do kind of sparkle in some of those kind of like skate collectibles that you'd have to find. Yeah. Maybe there's a kind of, uh, age of empires, like fog of war where, you can only see so far ahead of you and one of your upgrade passes to kind of increase your visibility distance. You know, like what can we do to make a skateboarding game feel more, feel more aggressive and progressive in a way? I think one of the things that I, I actually look at uh, Diablo 3 uh, as one of the reference points of there's of any given map, there's maybe some number, let's call it, uh, you know, at least a dozen or two combinations of the way those tiles actually interlock together. So I think if you had, um, you know, in the same way that a Tony Hawk level will have, um, gosh, uh, we'll, we'll even cite the school, right? There's kind of very specific zones in the school level. If those could be tiles that kind of show up in different interconnected ways, so you don't necessarily know where they're going to be per run. And then like maybe in the same way you get into a floor or you get into kind of a level in Hades and you have to kind of clear it out and then move on to the next one. Maybe you do some combination of, okay, you get dropped into this level and you're not going to progress to the next room until you collect skate all in one run. And maybe there's a time limit, maybe there's, maybe there's not. And then you get into another room and it's like, okay, this room you have two minutes to hit a certain score threshold. So there's always, there's always kind of a single activity because the Tony Hawk maps are very much like, Hey, you have two minutes, but you could tackle any one of these goals, um, mm-hmm. in your first attempt. So make it one goal per attempt. Um, maybe we play with the idea of the time limit. And then I, what I think is cool about that is in the same way that Hades or even, you know, um, dead cells or whatever do you actually would do kind of different pieces of the same map, um, maybe a few times in a row before you moved on to a, a true different location. So the thing about Tony Hawk is that it, um, I think it becomes more fun and interesting, like the better you learn the levels. Yeah. And that's kind of the, um, kind of the curved getting better at the game is not only kind of getting the reflexes correct, but really knowing your way around the levels, knowing the opportunities, knowing the, the good gaps and the uh, good ramps and the good uh, combos. But, um, you know, if like roguelite type stages are designed to be kind of disposable and digestible, you know, I, I, I don't know how we would kind of tailor it and position it to be, you know, cause in Tony Hawk, like finding the skate letters is like a fun exploration challenge where the first time you enter a map, you're just kind of looking around. You're kind of yeah. throwing that run. We're getting away. hit by cars. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Maybe, Maybe 
you do get to retry in the same kind of set of levels, but you have to complete one objective every two minute run. Otherwise, that is the equivalent of death. So it has something to always kind of like keep you from just having the, like the first like round in a Hitman level is basically a throwaway where you do everything wrong. You're just trying to jiggle every doorknob and try to find every key and break the law and you save scumming and stuff. But like you're, you're learning, you know? And so it's a way of kind of like giving people still that opportunity to learn, to find the combos and the rails and stuff, but to, but to have some sort of a pit that they're dangling over, you know, it's not a complete freedom to explore. You still have to achieve something. And maybe you want to save some of those more difficult challenges um, for some of the later runs as you're kind of piecing together in your mind how to accomplish the more involved tasks, you know, finding all five of the collectibles could be somewhat difficult sometimes. But uh, yeah, maybe sometimes you feel like you can do it all in one run. What about this? Because you are kind of going in and exploring these levels. If we gave a semi-generous amount of time, I, I always felt like two minutes is, is actually kind of tight in those early Tony Hawk games, right? You're, man, oh my goodness, like 30 seconds more. It depends more. on what you're doing, you know? there's I think two minutes is more than enough time to accomplish any one of the tasks, but the more yes. you string together, the more you feel that crunch. Yeah, if you go out for the second, uh, you know, the second of two objectives, you'll find yourself, you know, hitting the shot clock potentially. So what about this idea? If we... If we make it so at the end of two minutes or something, if you reach a particular score threshold, we will give you time extensions. You can actually stay in the level for a longer period of time. You're, you can't just like idly cruise around looking for things. You also have to be tricking because, uh, and I, I like the idea of like, okay, you need, you know, 10,000 to get your first, uh, you know, 60 second extension, but then it's, you know, it just keeps ramping up till somebody's on their 12th minute of a level and they've had to get, you know, uh, half a million points potentially to go that long. And then you're, then you're almost it's almost roguelike in a different way, even though it's the same map. That's interesting because um, in the Tony Hawk games, that's always something that I felt was kind of lacking in a way is that tricking is so much fun, but so few of the challenges actually right. rely upon <laughs> your score. And it's so usually it only three, like, right? The what? It, they maybe only have like one to three per level of like, yeah, get this, this, yeah, and this. And then there will be like one or two more stages that kind of have you do certain tricks over certain gaps or something like that or yeah. but for the most part like when you are kind of just like out there collectible hunting then you your best bet the best strategy is just to kind of like put your head down and just skate around without doing any tricks on anything unless you need to pick up some speed from a rail or something like that but you know it's it's a way that the objectives of the games kind of work against the core kind of engagement mechanics And so, yeah, forcing people to kind of trick around the level to increase the timer, because maybe in a kind of roguelite fashion, like every time you die, every time a run ends, you start anew. And maybe you start with two minutes and then the next run is a minute and a half and the next run's a minute, next run is 30 seconds. And, you know, before long, and this could be like the real kind of like high end players are setting themselves apart from like the low end players because at the end, like you could get down to like a two second run, but if you can do the tricks, you can build the timer back up. And if you're in the middle of a combo, the the clock doesn't count down until you finish it. And so if you are one goal away, you've, 
you know, you've done five runs, you know where everything is, you've got two seconds on the clock, then like you have a way of like through skillful play, extending your timer and pushing on to achieve that final goal. I also think like in that same way, what you just mentioned of different, different kind of moments in a level, right? Like some levels have those, like you said, the gaps or the rails that they want you to grind. You could almost turn those now almost into the treasure chests, right? Mm -hmm. Where those are the things that are going to, you know, after you grind a particular rail or do a rail to rail transfer or a certain trick on a certain surface, um, then you can say, okay, this is going to pop out a, um, increase your jump by a certain percentage or something like that. So you do have that feeling of like leveling up a skater and now you could do it. It's actually one of the <laughs> only ways to me that's viable of starting with a created skater. I never, I never resonated with the, I, I do make skaters, but because like you kind of start with a skater that's like, yeah, the stat is close enough to what I generally, my play style is. And then you just level them up until they're all kind of the same, mm -hmm. having different runs where you nail different tricks and then uh, end up getting these random power-ups to tra transform the skater. I think you now you get into the oh my god i had that one run with bob burnquist where he had uh, a ton of air and i could just transfer over anything <laughs> it was glorious that's the fun thing about road lights is becoming better than the game wants you to be at any given time you know you get those right combination of items going back to like binding of isaac and enter the gungeon and stuff like we all have those stories and uh it's it's so satisfying to get like a ridiculously good roll and just steamroll through and it would just be fun to kind of translate that to a skating game. But anyways, we are out of time. Plenty more to say on that. But let's call ourselves there and uh, let's give it a name. Oh, we have Spelunky. We have Dead Cells. We have Risk of Rain. Um, What else do we have? Hades. I like Risk. Hades Hawk Pro Splunker. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> it was really fun to hear coming out of your mouth in real time, though, forming it. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> in, in terms of risk of rain, I, I do almost like like a uh, risk of grind or something like that. <laughs> risk of rail. <laughs> risk of rail. That, no, that's it. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> risk of rail pro skater, if we really have to. No, it's fine. Yeah, that's a good one. You see, we can laugh again, despite what our uh, what our minds were telling us. Yeah, what is this? Is it human emotion? <laughs> <laughs> All right, my turn. Um, what I'm thinking about is a um, so kind of a four button grid pattern. Uh, you know, the kind of standard cross like you would see on a controller. You know, four button pattern kind of extrapolated into the game world. So think kind of like a DDR map, almost like virtually within the game world uh, that correspond to each of the four face buttons. You have a worm that is always touching two of the buttons and it kind of arches between them. So depending on which two buttons you last pressed or are currently holding, however we want to take it, your worm is um, kind of, you know, stretching between those two buttons, um, leaving you, you know, uh, I could probably do the math really quickly if I wasn't <laughs> thinking about it and recording Insert every thought here. that I was having, but you know, there's, there is a certain very finite number of combinations that your worm can be in. And basically it's kind of like a, like a Takeshi's Castle or a Super Hexagon type of thing where there are walls coming at you and you have to kind of like fit your worm in the openings in those walls. And so, you know, 
at first it'll just kind of be a lot of walls coming at you from the front and you can see you know there's the arch I gotta be across X and B there's a you know vertical in the center I gotta be across A and Y there's like an A and B shape and all those different shapes that you could uh that you can form but then you know once you've kind of warmed up to it in a super hexagon kind of way where it kind of ramps up the difficulty every time the walls start coming from different angles so they could be coming from uh you know down from up above they could be coming diagonally they could be coming from the z-axis you know just any direction these walls can end up coming at and you just have to be prepared to kind of fit in the uh, in the holes that are um, made available for your worm character so i'm going to start the clock there so this is great i mean obviously how could we not think a little bit about fall guys here right yeah, in right. terms of uh it's a very sort of takeshi takeshi's castle um i, I actually was not even familiar i had to google takeshi's castle in real time um <laughs> to kind of understand well, what we that know it over here is mxc right see i yeah i didn't know that i i just uh, always like knew that that's the i mean after looking at it oh that's the show where mxc is most extreme most extreme elimination challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so good i love that show <laughs> Yeah, I I like that. And and I'm almost when you talk about those walls coming from all these locations, do you I have very vivid memories of there's a battle in the Super Nintendo, maybe the Nintendo 64 uh, Star Fox game where Andros, uh, when he's in face mode, is able to spit these sort of walls essentially at you, these monoliths of different types, and they're kind of flying all around and you're dodging them. But in your head, are you imagining that the worm kind of has to glide along these wall surfaces or are they trying to kind of navigate through and around them? Because I, I do like the idea of you almost kind of have to stick to something. Yeah, well, I think the, um, the, the button grid in the middle of the screen is static and then the walls kind of like a kind of like laser grids and like a heist movie are moving towards you. Oh. And so you are in place kind of doing your different moves to dodge around them in a way. So you're not going anywhere essentially. Yeah, you're just kind of dodging as they as they come at you. So it's kind of like think about essentially boiled down as kind of like a 3D super hexagon. Okay. And my my four face buttons are allowing me to kind of like bend and squish into the different directions. Uh so your your worm is going to have, you know, each end has to be on two of those platforms and so you know whatever two you last pressed or whatever two you are currently holding your worm is going to be stretched across those two i'm trying to uh, there's an aspect to this that i almost feel like would lend itself in some way to a rhythm game of like these things these yeah. walls or whatever cascading in uh, in a sequence that is predictable in some ways but i suppose you probably want to avoid true patterns in this way yeah so that's um is it like randomly generated in your mind yeah I, I think so kind of like super hexagon i think works arrhythmically even though it thinking about it, it probably does stick to a rhythm but i don't think you generally make your decisions based on like it's kind of a visual game for something in 3d because these walls are kind of coming at different angles it could be kind of maybe harder to visually track in 3d and so we would need to make sure that the point of intersection between the wall and the grid is yeah. uh 
kind of falls on a beat. So, you know, like it's very clear when you need to be pressing your series of buttons. That's cool. And I think like super hexagon playing with the, whether it's the different width or the different thicknesses of the walls of the surfaces. So you have to execute maybe one move kind of cling on to one side and then swoop the other side of your body off in maybe a different time or asynchronously uh, in order to make it these more dramatic jumps and really feel like you're pulling off, you know, death-defying escape maneuvers as this wormy little dude. Yeah, so um, so one of the things that I'm kind of having maybe trouble imagining is what kind of camera angle could we possibly set that set this game uh, up with that would uh, kind of accurately give players all the information they needed. You know, ideally, I'd love to have something that kind of slowly rotates around the character and so you get kind of a 3d perspective you know you have that kind of extra challenge when the camera is kind of breaking the 180 degrees rule uh where all of a sudden you're facing kind of straight on with your worm and then the y button is on the bottom now uh you know it's screen forward oh and so you kind of have to do that mental rotation in your mind as well and uh maybe we just kind of set it up so that the kind of two sides that are nearest the camera never project their their walls towards you so you always can see it coming or maybe there are still ways to kind of like you know give the players the information they need and have all walls active but uh i would love to have kind of a dynamic camera throughout all of this i think that's cool so one possible way we could uh, accommodate that is what if we actually instead of going fully abstract art style what if you did almost like make these things feel like uh, the hallway from Inception? You know, the way that that thing could kind of rotate all around or <laughs> or this, you know, something where, you know, even if the camera is rotated, as long as you can kind of mentally know that like, okay, the floor is A or whatever. I'm thinking about the Xbox controller for a second. A is at mm-hmm. the bottom. The bottom's the floor. Floor is A. When you do that, you could also pull in sort of uncharted style or many popular video game styles where you just have like some of the objects on those surfaces with just the lightest amount of paint that correspond Mm. to the color of the button that you're supposed to be pressing or something like that. So there are actually a ton of visual indicators, but, um, but you can still have those sort of trippy God, imagine this in VR where like the camera is this kind of free floating thing. (laughs) I can see this also being a lot of fun in like Japanese arcades where you'll get one of those machines that has like kind of four large buttons that you're kind of hitting like bongos and the people could, I mean, you could even do it with a DDR pad. I mean, we have two legs, the worm has two sides, like it would work really well. Um, That, you know, there's just so many different types of controllers that I think would be kind of ideal for this type of game. And I, I I like the idea too of, I don't know if there's any game pad like this, I guess the DDR pad, but I would almost love to play this as Twister. Like if there was some way to have like, actual up down left and rights maybe it's the switch motion controls so they kind of know which direction you're you're holding the controller or something in the meantime that accelerometer oh gosh yeah so point of reference that uh kind of got me inspired to think about this was super mario galaxy i'm uh very impressed like going back to it even still um just how how good it feels to walk onto the underside of a planet and your brain kind of automatically adjusts to you know, the kind of reverse and control schemes. Like it's crazy that the game asks children essentially to 
like pilot around a man walking on the ceiling and it's just like okay yeah this feels natural like it's such a herculean task and i feel like there are moments where the game's controls kind of betray it a little bit you'll get caught kind of between those gravity and the uh, camera fully swapping uh situations and mario just kind of runs in a little circle but (laughs) even so like it's uh it's impressive to have to do that kind of like mental rotation and mental math while you're uh kind of performing other types of challenges well and the way that you're describing it potentially some of the walls or some of the surfaces Imagine in that first star in Mario Galaxy, that first star room, I know players, maybe it's hard to think of, but there's those electrified sort of pieces that are rotating inside of the sphere. And I could imagine doing like curved walls, curved surfaces for the the worm yeah. to kind of jump to and potentially like you're seeing a, a further surface that you're going to be able to stick to. But you know, if you're if you're able oh, to yeah, stick gosh. to this one, you can uh, get that far in advance, I guess, to the next jump or something. That's interesting. This whole time I was kind of thinking of like a static button grid in the standard kind of cross shape that, uh, you know, we're used to seeing. And maybe the game for the first, you know, minute and a half is that, but then maybe the buttons each kind of like move in different directions around the room. And then all of a sudden you have to be doing different kind of mental calculations as your worm kind of stretches and expands and and flips and different shapes of walls are coming at you that you've just never seen before because the buttons have never been in that position. Uh, I'm liking this a lot more. We are coming up against the end of time, which is, uh, I mean, at the end of uh, our 10 minute timer, uh, coincidentally also the end of time. But uh, <laughs> so we, we do have to wrap that one, but I'm really liking where this one's going. And uh, just kind of like that first pitch today as well. I'd love to see where the audience can take it. If you have anything you'd like to contribute please do write in. We will further extrapolate on these ideas if you have other kind of things to bring to them. So let's uh, close it down. Let's give it a name. Is there something with wiggle? Is there something about... It's thing like wiggle, wiggle revolution or dance, dance, wiggle, lucian. Wiggle, wiggle revolution is pretty Joe, good. The dance attack. Is there something about what makes worms special? God, you, oh God, if we kept going, we could even do things like the worm gets cut in half and there's two pieces and stuff. Is it a creepy crawler? Is it a crawly <laughs> or an inching of sorts? Why is naming video games the hardest Hard part of squirm. Our, our pitch show? Wiggle and Joe, the dance <gasps> off. We can't, we can't, no, we, we have to, we have to save Wiggle and Joe. He's, <laughs> we're keeping him in the archive. Wiggle, wiggle. And squirm. Oh, squirm is, is, is the same amount of syllables as dance. So I think you could do like squirm, squirm, wiggleution or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty fun. I, I like that. A very silly one. That'll do it. Uh, for that one, let's go over to the community. Yes. We have a uh, community pitch from a new name, it looks like, from a Tino Jakak, I'm going to say. I apologize if that is not the correct way to pronounce the last name. It's not one that I'm familiar with, um, but I would love to learn. Hello, Ryans. This is a game pitch inspired by the Chiquita 3301 puzzles and the eBay Christmas Treasure Hunt 2004. Not sure if they did it at any other time, but a Google search confirms it wasn't a fever dream. (laughs) This sounds like something you probably already covered, but uh, on the chance you haven't, here it is. And uh, just to kind of take a moment away from the the reading here, even if it is something we've covered, we are happy to 
um, to tread familiar ground and take it in a new direction. That's our commitment that unless we have forgotten, which is entirely a possibility, we will always try to take familiar subject matter into a different direction. I like the idea of now people just forwarding us their pitches from three years ago and us being like, oh, this is, we've got a whole new thing we can do with this now. Do-overs, playwright do-overs. That could be our next year of recordings. I'm thinking a browser add-on that manipulates the web pages you visit to set off uh, to set you off on an Easter egg hunt puzzle. The clues can be somewhat overt, like an advert for a white rabbit-themed park, or Enigma uh, electronic components, or covert clues like comments in the page HTML markup that is uh, that is an encrypted URL, and the cipher is provided by the text on the page. Pretty standard viral marketing stuff. I don't know if there will be a a competitive cooperative aspect with everyone getting the same hunt if there will be a real world occasions to visit for clues or actually prizes at the end maybe hopefully i've explained my idea sufficiently and you can uh, and you can make something and you can make use of it cheers tino all right let's start the clock there and see what i come up with it's interesting that tino writes this because I, we are now in the age of what hypnospace outlaw i think it's yeah. called right which i've not yeah, i've not I just, played uh, beat that one a couple of weeks ago actually oh good so you're my sme you're my subject matter expert on hypnospace <laughs> outlaw but i'm i'm also thinking about something we talked about i think off mic um a few weeks ago which was there was something called our colony uh, which was this uh, ARG, our alternate uh, reality game uh, for <laughs> Microsoft when they were initially kind of going to debut the Xbox 360. Um, and there was all this kind of like weird references to bees and all this stuff. And people were going from site to site. And, you know, as a young person on the internet, it was very captivating for me to follow this stuff. So I could see this internet Easter egg hunt puzzle. If you can really make it feel like somebody's onto a secret truth, it being very compelling. I think the most interesting part of this is this idea of making kind of an ARG like setup, almost procedural in a way and hiding it in pages that you're already viewing, uh, adding little kind of like little elements here and there, things that maybe you can collect, um, things that you can, uh, know clues it'll swap out certain words or maybe misspell certain things to try to get you you know investigating certain things can be clues and you have to really you have to really think with each kind of twitter post that you read what is a legitimate misspelling and what is the game kind of behind the scenes playing tricks on my browser and and switching things around on me um it's you know it might lead to a sense of paranoia uh it might uh be something that even like, like how... real conspiracies could exploit or advertisers, if they know that people are going to click on things with white rabbits, they might just kind of debut ads with white rabbits in them. And now all of a sudden you are clicking through to their, you know, virus laden website. But uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure what the end game is quite yet, but it's a it's a cool idea. One of the things that for me, I think, you know, you can also pull tricks um, like giving giving the user maybe access to this second document or a second terminal where you give them a key to decode information and they're kind of clicking around on this AOL like you know you you want to do a hub of sorts so the you know you can't recreate the entirety of the internet although maybe you could maybe there's a browser plugin way of making this game that's wild but the idea being able to 
have some secondary piece of information, a second screen, whatever, that helps you decode these pages and it makes you look at all these pages in kind of an interesting way. I was playing the game Tell Me Why. There's this puzzle that uh, it, it asks you just to kind of look through this book and decipher out yourself what the answer is very sort of early on in the game. It was it, to me, it was actually very mentally engaging because it made me look at this one document I had access to up, down, left, right, and uh, and every way. That's one of the things I referenced back to this game quite a bit. Uh, Sherlock Holmes' Nemesis, which was, I think it was Sherlock Holmes versus, uh, you know, Arkham Lupin or something like that in other territories, but I know it as Nemesis when I played it. Uh, but it was like the one of the first games that I played that wasn't like a text adventure game where like you literally had to read and comprehend the books that were in the game environment. You know, it wasn't something where you find the correct book, you open it and instantly your character has absorbed the information and already has the next quest marker on screen, mm. you know, because like we've seen mysteries attempted in games like, you know, Skyrim and stuff like that. But like the game's nature doesn't allow for like real investigation. Like it just allows for kind of a breadcrumb, breadcrumb like a quest structure. I love this idea of kind of keeping things a little bit more open, making engaging mysteries kind of procedural and really able to kind of like get at you anywhere you are on the internet. You already mentioned uh, Hypnospace Outlaw, which really is a good point of reference for this. Um, it's uh that is a game to uh, fill listeners in if you're looking for some kind of related reading. It's a game that is set in a like a late 90s GeoCities like web ring essentially. Like oh, you're wow. kind of on this alternative internet and um and it's all kind of structured around like a message board type format with different uh different kind of categories of pages. There's like the teen zone for the teenagers to hang out and post their own personal <laughs> websites there's the you know a zone for kind of like commerce and, and all these different um you know an artist alley kind of place and uh and you 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 can click onto any of these websites and find links to other websites and almost like her story search keyword like for um websites that you might not have found just yet and um you're given a series of tasks to kind of like track down illegal content and you know this and that just stuff to kind of keep you busy um and give you at least kind of like a little bit of an inkling to get exploring but once you kind of gain some momentum in exploring this alternate internet there's enough there and enough of these kind of sub stories that just kind of naturally organically emerge that um you know really you uh you learn a lot about the people who created these websites and the you know kind of behind the scenes stories of what's going on in their lives and eventually the game does kind of culminate in a more interesting meta story that having this kind of in-depth personal knowledge um benefits but uh uh it's it, it's a great a great experience it's a game that really rewards kind of careful observers and people who have a genuine curiosity um it's uh really accessible really engaging uh, really fun, and it's um, available on uh, Game Pass on both console and uh, PC. So I'd recommend playing that on PC if you can. It's uh, worth tracking down. I'm also thinking, you know, this is so much, well, a lot of what we're circling around is a very structured game, but one game that really stood out to me in the past year, and it's a, it's a wonderful play, or at least a mostly wonderful play, if you get a chance. Um, I believe it's called... 
oh my gosh, uh, kind words, kind words. Um, and it's a game really, it's almost not a game, but it is a game where people are able to write notes anonymously to each mm-hmm. other, um, asking for advice and, and you're encouraged to write back, maybe just reassuring them or offering them a suggestion or something. If you're like me and somebody who's always trying to solve uh, every problem that they encounter, it's a, it's, it could be a bit of a, of a game of like, wow, how do I help this person navigate this? But imagine a kind words that was almost about internet like riddles. He's talking here about the white rabbit or Enigma <laughs> electronics components, that sort of thing. I'm thinking about the Riddler and the way that the Riddler would say, um, when you go to when you go to this place where they cut down the trees uh, and search for the words, yada, 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 you will find the answers you seek. And, you know, that's telling someone to go to Amazon, obviously, in that example. And, and search for something. But the, <laughs> I don't know, is there a way to have people issue each other riddles? And if you can actually like return the correct URL or the message extracted from the web page, you know, he talks here about actual prizes at the end. Maybe you can, this is, this maybe feels a little bit dirty, but like wager, like I will put five real dollars that someone will not be able to uh, solve my riddle. Um, and if you do, you actually technically get to extract the $5 from the system. I would love that this was kept kind of all alternate reality in a way where, yeah. you know, the the pages you're supposed to click onto are like literally links kind of formatted in the same style as the other links on a page or a certain combination of words that you have to kind of like highlight and copy into the address bar and uh, you know, on Amazon, there could be a fake product listing that if you click on it, it brings you into, but like using yeah. Amazon format. And so you could be browsing around and see something and think like, oh man, that's a, that's a clue with other, you know, clues pointing you towards or away from certain things. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the idea of this being more automated than authored because, you know, an authored experience is something that, you know, we've, we've seen before, maybe not with the full power of a browser extension, but, uh, I think there's fun to be had with uh, making this something that can like theoretically always be uh, generating as you go. That's cool. We're uh, we're out of time on that one. Let's uh, let's give it a name. God, it's too bad. There's a lot of social implication around the term dark web already. It feels suitable. Yeah, I don't I don't mind. I mean, is is there kind of a negative? Well, I know the dark web is kind of, yeah, I guess people just refer to it as like the hidden corners of the internet. Mm -hmm. This is the, this is the darkest web. (laughs) The dank web has to be something already, right? The dank web is pretty good. Oh, what about this? What about this? Because technically we could make it so that if it's designed that things are interconnected and stuff, you could call it the spider's web and you're browsing like spider web or something like that. You know, okay. that's the name of the internet provider as well. Yeah. I used to use the uh, web crawler search engine. So I know my way around spiders on the internet. There you go. Oh, the spider's web. Thank you very much, Tino Jakak, for sending that in. And uh, if you would like to submit a game in the future, whether you have submitted or have not before, uh, we're always eager eager to hear from new people and uh, and from returning favorites as well. So you can write us at playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at playwrightcast, or you can go to our website, playwrightcast.com slash pitch. Special thank you to the tonally talented Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. 
And when you have a spare minute, why not go check out some of the other great shows on the Kane and Rince network? Hey, Kane and Rince, uh, they covered Hotline Miami too recently. Sound of Play is on episode, God, I don't know. What are you guys here? Probably almost 300 now? Yeah, uh, 270 is coming up in a couple of weeks. Okay, so we're we're coming into the 300s there. We're, there's a lot of content in the Sausage Factory interview with game developers. Now we've got uh, Revolution Software on the charts. So a lot of cool stuff happening on Canon Rents. All right, to take us out of the show today, I believe that you're going to be delivering a redacted game. I'm very excited about this one, but I'm not going to talk too much about it because I've, I've ruined okay. myself before. <laughs> Your redacted game is described as such. Your rapid fire redacted, spelled doom for the redacted, in this utterly odd, totally challenging takeoff on redacted. When you're battling redacted in a nightmare come true, 10 redacted, definitely better than two. Oh, okay. Interesting. So we got the <laughs> hint of a rhyme scheme at the end there. I wonder if the rest of it also rhymes. Would you mind reading like the first half of this again? Sure. Your rapid fire redacted spelled doom for the redacted in this utterly odd, totally challenging takeoff on redacted. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if that ends up helping me actually. Mm, who knows? All right. So 10 is better than two. 10 is better than two. Oof. That's an interesting way to phrase it. Okay. I'm going to throw <laughs> a first unqualified guess out there and I'm going to say overlord. It is not overlord. <laughs> it's not overlord. Okay. All right. So I was thinking, you know, the number of followers that you amass, 10 is better than two is the thing that's really kind of really getting me thinking. All right. So it does have kind of a whimsical fairy tale, like rhyme scheme at the end there. I have a feeling like on one hand, it feels too rhythmic to be a coincidence, but on the other hand, maybe Metacritic I'm just sing songy. Get cute like that. Yeah. Maybe I'm just sing-songy in it. Let me, I'll read the second half one more time. When you're battling redacted in a nightmare come true, 10 redacted, definitely better than two. Yeah, I guess it does have, they did make a, yeah, <laughs> they did make a rhyme there. You're battling redacted in a nightmare come true. So nightmare come nightmare. true yeah. feels, that, that phraseology feels very, you know, doom, serious Sam, that kind of genre, Duke Nukem 3D type of shooter. Yeah, there's a severity you know? to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I will tell you, uh, here's what I will tell you. This game only appeared on two platforms. Okay. On one of its platforms, um, probably the game that most people, or, or the platform most people experience it on, it was the number 71st best game. Um, but on its potentially less popular platform, it was the number 11th best game oh interesting okay <laughs> so what we're looking at here is a game that was ported to the n-gauge <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. incredibly but you know what i i don't know if the um <laughs> when, when i reveal that second platform you're really going to uh, feel like you took a good dig at uh, at it <laughs> and and uh, both of those platforms by the way it came out in 2001 2001. So this could be a, uh, let's see, it'd be two. No, it would be Dreamcast era, late N64, early GameCube, I believe. Mm. Mm. 
that uh, that tracks. Kind of rift between PlayStation and PlayStation 2. What else is happening around that time? I will tell you, <laughs> I will tell you, you have named, you have named that uh, one of its two platforms. Games that have either made their way, because of the era, the kind of unfortunate platforms of that time were the Dreamcast and like maybe the GameCube, if you're really yeah. trying to, to argue it. So what would be kind of vastly unappreciated on one platform <laughs> but be a relatively bigger deal likely due to less competition on the other i yep yeah that's right okay here we go um yeah. is this odd world uh munch's odyssey um it is not and it is not an odd world game all right all right <laughs> oh my goodness okay um what is the uh what is the metacritic okay so on uh on the popular platform i know i've really introduced some complexity here but one mm-hmm. of one of these pages is data rich and the other one is data light <laughs> on the popular platform uh it was a 75 mm-hmm. with a user score of 7.7 so slightly better okay. on the less popular platform it was an 83 um and a user score 7.8 so generally a good game Okay. And one that was this game released on both of those platforms kind of simultaneously, or was this a late port as we call it these days? Um, it looks like it was a simultaneous, well, maybe a couple months apart, January on the popular platform and not until (laughs) fall on the less popular. But I think when I read you that description, a key line in there is it's a totally challenging takeoff on Redacted. Okay, let's read the description again. Let's get it yeah. fresh in our minds. Your rapid fire Redacted spelled doom for the Redacted in this utterly odd, totally challenging takeoff on Redacted. When you're battling Redacted in a nightmare come true, I can't believe I'm going to make this rhyme again. Ten Redacted are definitely better than two. And it ends on an exclamation point. So. Okay. I'm going to think aloud for a little bit here, and I apologize if this gets uh, (laughs) meticulous for the listeners, especially those who have already figured it out. Okay. So working through this bit by bit. So your rapid fire redacted has spelled doom for redacted. So that is establishing a comedic tone in which your character is in some way responsible for the disaster that's befalling them that they have to fight back. And so I'm thinking something like a, you know, something like a Conqueror's Bad Fur Day where he's kind of the root of his own problems in a way. Yes. Although I do think the, um, the rapid term there is, a uh, is helpful. Mm-hmm. So something is fast. Something's happening quickly. Okay. And then, um, then what's the next sentence? This little chunk here. A spell doom for the redacted in this utterly odd, totally challenging takeoff on redacted. Okay. Utterly odd. So it again kind of doubles down in that kind of comedic lighthearted tone. Definitely strange. It's a takeoff on something else. So kind of genre uh, proximal to perhaps an established brand, something that may even read as like a parody of a genre, kind of like a paradise or something like that. I would say think a little bit less genre and potentially more particular game. Okay. Interesting. All right. Okay. Kind of a takeoff on a particular game. Popular. And then at the end, it was... uh, When you're battling Redacted in a nightmare come true, 
10 redacted are definitely better than two. It's fun because the word redacted actually still makes the rhyme work, which I am pretty happy about. (laughs) Keeps the meter. I like it. Um, Okay. So 10 being better than two is again, very, very interesting because for that, for that statement to make sense, the, like we have to come into it with two being the status quo expectation. Yes. And then the 10 is a subversion. So what are things (laughs) that we have two of that a character might have 10 of, or there might be 10 characters instead of two Mario bros, or there might be 10 arms instead of two arms or Mm -hmm. something like that. So in this, uh, in the traditional version of this genre, this type of game, you might have two of these things. In this case, you have 10. Okay. Gosh. Okay. I feel like I have (laughs) all of the information I need. Yes. What are, Okay, I'm just going to brainstorm. What are genres in which we have two of something? So there's motorcycle games where we have two wheels. Okay. There are, I mean, there are like platformers where we might have two different characters. Two characters, yeah. feel as as funny. Uh, There might be games where we have two guns. Again, the kind of two Mm -hmm. arms, two legs, two two eyes, perhaps. Uh, uh, we have two nipples. So it might be really funny for a character to have 10 <laughs> That's nipples. True. Can you milk me, Greg? <laughs> two decks on a turntable. Mm, oh, gosh. I can uh, I can feel the, you've, the life you've, slipping away from... Yeah, I was going to say, you have, said the, uh, you have said the kind of correct... You have named one of the things that you typically have two of that I think they're <laughs> trying to evoke here. Okay. All right. Comedic takeoff featuring a... Kind of rapid fire. Rapid fire. 2001, released on two platforms, a super popular one and a not so popular one. On the popular one, it was just, you know, a middle of the road game. On the less popular one, very popular or very, very well. Uh, oh man, I I don't know what it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to just like guess something, but like I don't even know what I want to guess. Yes. I was there last week. I know exactly how you feel. Uh, all right. I'm going to lock myself into focusing on body parts. What is a comedic yeah. character that has an abnormal number of <laughs> body parts? That's that's what I'm going. I'm not going to let myself think about anything else. Otherwise, I'll be here all night. Yeah, that'll be specific. Um, that may have released on the Dreamcast, let's say. Ooh, I'm not weird thinking stuff of like any... Dreamcast octopus themed platformers or anything like that because 10 is a lot it's more than really any amount of limbs than i uh, than characters i can remember from the that year that's true gosh uh okay well maybe eyes maybe this character has a lot of eyes could oh. be bloodborne that's probably what this is and that <laughs> explains the cutesy rhyme scheme as well that's right uh, the 2000 the 2001's bloodborne that's why <laughs> blood, the recent bloodborne had the parenthetical on it okay i as much as i feel like i've walked the audience right up to the doorway <laughs> yeah I, I i just i don't see myself walking away with this one so um i'll just i'll put out a put out a quick and simple answer of <laughs> i don't want to lock myself in didn't you? i know i know how you feel ah, gosh i'll just i'll guess the game on the dreamcast where the cat chases around those mice very fast you know what i'm talking about i 
don't I know the visual, but I do not know the name of that game. Okay. Yeah, I'll guess that. <laughs> <laughs> it is not the cat game on the Dreamcast. All right, here we are. Here we are. <clears throat> Your rapid fire uh, and I know you've talked about this game before, H. Your rapid fire typing skills spell doom for the undead oh in my this gosh. utterly oh. odd, totally challenging takeoff on House oh, no. of the Dead 2. <laughs> when you're battling zombies in a nightmare come true, 10 trigger fingers are definitely better than two. Wow. Typing of the dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yes. And you were spot on with the Dreamcast. It's, uh, oh my gosh. it was released on PC in the Dreamcast. It only has one user review for the Dreamcast version. <laughs> uh, this is by far one of the weirdest yet coolest games on the Sega Dreamcast. The game mostly takes on uh, the role to teach how to type, but it's the best game. Uh, but it's one of the best games on the Dreamcast. When I heard a of this game. I was really confused about it, but when I played it, it was all good. <laughs> wow. Good one. Good one. That is a game that I own on Steam, so I really have no excuse. <laughs> um, Typing wow. over that, so <laughs> there what, you what go. really messed me up was just like 10 is better than two. I was thinking I like know. the character like that has to be represented in game. I didn't right. ever it's consider you. that it was like a meta textual element. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? It's funny because that's the Dreamcast uh, description of it. The the mm -hmm. PC description is far more you know straightforward. It says run through House of the Dead two, but instead of firing a light gun, you type a word that is displayed on screen in front of the creature attacking you. The faster, more accurately, you type the words. Although that would have been like probably fun to read better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're there right. You Rapid fire. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Uh, all right. That's Wild. wow. Good one. All right. Let's uh, let's close that one down. And uh, thanks again for listening to another fun episode of Playwright. I, I hope that you've all um, enjoyed this. Uh, we've got a, uh, we had a kind of rough opening to the week, but I hope that this and a yeah. new Neil Sisierga remix album and <laughs> Star Wars Squadrons coming out on Friday, like there's a lot to look forward to. So it's all, you know, good things ahead of us from here. That's right. Bye, everybody. Take it easy. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.